Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. My name is Tim, and I'm the pastor here. If you're new, special welcome to you. We love it that you have joined us today. Uh, We are starting a new series today, just a two-week series called Hope in Loss. And uh, if you are new with us, we just completed uh, a 10-week series called What is Love? And we looked at uh, an honest look at relationships. And if you weren't here, we, we addressed everything. Uh, we address marriage and singleness and dating and parenting and conflict and communication and sex and, and finances and friendship. There's the full spectrum of relationships. Uh, so we just capped that off. So if you missed any of that, you can go online, uh, Facebook Live. We archive the videos of these sermons so you can watch those. If you missed any of those, we can also, uh, you can also listen on the website, iTunes, all of that. And just to kind of let you know where we're going after this two-week series Uh, You saw the graphic a little bit earlier on the screen, but we are starting our Advent series on December 1st called Christmas Foretold. Really excited about this. We're going to look at the birth of of Jesus in the Old Testament. And some of you are thinking, Tim, you don't know your Bible too well because the birth of of Jesus is in the New Testament. Uh, But we're going to see how the birth of Jesus was planned out way before the New Testament ever came to be. And uh, ever before that story was even thought about. And so uh, we're going to see the Old Testament connect to the New Testament. Excited to hit that over the holiday season. Uh, But before we get there, we're going to talk about something that's particularly relevant as we approach the holiday season during the holiday season, and it is loss. Uh, You know, it's interesting because I thought about uh, the holiday season. I'm sure some of you are getting ready for Thanksgiving, uh, and, and maybe you got ready too soon for Christmas by listening to Christmas music. Uh, that's just disrespectful to like the pilgrims, okay, and the turkey, right? Just wait, Thanksgiving deserves this holiday first, right? Um, but, but all of us, but the reason we dive into those things so soon is because we love about the holidays, the sights, the sounds, the smells of the holidays, right? That's what we love. But what's interesting about loss is it's those things that we love, like the sights, the sounds, and the smells that also bring up the pain of loss, in a unique way, in an acute way. Like, have you ever just been listening to a Christmas song or, or eating something at, at Thanksgiving that was a tradition for you with someone you lost and you just start crying? And somebody's like, hey, is like the turkey that bad? And you're like, no, I just, it reminds me because we'd always eat like fried turkey with my dad and he's not here anymore. And it just, it just brings up, and those, those same things, those sights, those sounds and smells that bring joy, those same things can bring acutely, uniquely, the pain of loss, right? And so I think we all deal with this uh, in some way, shape, or form at this time of the year. And here's the reality. I deal with this, right? And I deal, I'm a pastor, I'm a person too, and, and I deal with this. As we thought about, hey, we're doing Advent, December 1st, what do we do between there? We had another series planned, but we called an audible. And one of the reasons why we did that is because we've experienced, I've experienced loss in the last year. Uh, today is literally one year uh, later from our uh, production lead um, passing away. Um, he died a year ago today. Uh, and some of you don't know this person, but his name was Chris. Uh, he was 37 years old, uh, wife and two kids. He helped us, again, if you're new, start the church. We're five years old as a church. He was a key leader. He led community. I was thinking about it today. We always think of him as production lead, like he did all the audio-visual, a lot of the stuff in this room he literally designed and set up. So the amplification of my voice you're hearing because of Chris. So even if you don't know Chris, you're being impacted by his life. 
Uh, but he was like a community group leader early on. He, he led all kinds of stuff. He led us in prayer at different times. And, and he led so many things over four years. And in a moment, heart attack, totally unexpected, he died. And that was a year ago today. As we thought about that, we were going to do something like we, we need to honor Chris in church, maybe after church, go, go eat lunch together and just share stories. As we thought about that, we said, hey, let's just lean into this. Because if I'm dealing with this as a pastor, you're dealing with this as people. And I know a lot of you are dealing with this. I know, like I know some of you have lost a sibling. Like I know some of you have lost a parent. Some of you have lost a good friend. Some of you have lost even a spouse. And I know for some of you, this Thanksgiving and this Christmas is the first one without them. And you don't know how you're going to navigate that. And here's why it's important to know how to navigate that is a lot of people in our culture, maybe some of you have done this, maybe some of you are doing this even now. A lot of people in our culture, we don't deal with loss. We numb it with substance, sex, or social media. And here's what happens when we numb the loss and we numb the pain from the loss. The pain just gets worse, except it doesn't just affect that relationship with that person we lost. It affects all our relationships with the people who are still living, right? And we get more pain when we numb the pain of loss. And some of us do that. Some of us just ignore it. You just think, hey, I just need to get back to work. Like, I don't even celebrate the holidays, because of that, I, I, just, I just work right through the holidays. I just keep, even if it's around the home, like I'm setting up the tree, I'm putting up the lights, I don't think about anything because I just ignore the loss because maybe if I ignore it, it will go away. And you know this, it never goes away. No, like water in a, in a pot that starts to boil, just slowly starts to simmer, slowly starts to boil, and then overflows one day when you least expect it and is even more painful. And so I want to talk about today, how do we navigate loss? Not in those ways, ignoring, numbing, but how do we deal with it biblically in a healthy way? How do you prepare for the holidays, which is a time of loss, in a healthy way? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So grab a Bible, grab a Bible app, head to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you do have a physical copy of your Bible, you're going to want to head to the Old Testament. It's right in the middle of your Bible. You'll see Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 7. So head there. Uh, this is Solomon. Uh, some of you may know who Solomon is, even if you didn't grow up in the church or not a believer. Solomon was a wealthy guy. Uh, Solomon was a wise guy. He was the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus. And so some of you may know those facts about Solomon, but as he writes Ecclesiastes, one important thing to note is Solomon is later in life. He's getting to the end of his life, and he writes Ecclesiastes, and as we read this together, you're going to want to picture like a grandpa, like a grandpa who's at the end of his life, sitting down with you, sharing his life's wisdom. Right? Now, uh, me, I didn't have uh, grandfathers in my life for too long. They, they died when I was at a young age. But I did have an older man in my life named Gail Wyatt uh, when I was in college. I was already in ministry. And this guy named Gail, he was in his 70s. And he just uh, uh, discipled me and mentored me like a grandfather would. And I would go to Gail's house. Um, and he would just sit down and share life's wisdom with me. Like 70 plus years of living life, he would just share his wisdom with me. And he was a very proper man. He was a very proper old man. And so I would get to his door and, hey, Gil. And the first thing he would say is like, oh, welcome, Tim. Oh, won't you come in, Tim? I'm like, oh, thank you. I will. 
And then I would sit down in like one of his nice vintage chairs, and he would say, Tim, won't you have some tea? He didn't say like, do you want some tea, Tim? He said, won't you have some? I was like, well, I can't turn down that. And he would often say like, won't you have some pie? And it would be like 10 a.m. And so I would say like, yes, (laughs) yeah, I'll take some pie at 10 a.m. And he was like a grandpa just sharing wisdom with me. And as we read this, that's what you need to picture. That's where Solomon is in life. That's the wisdom he's going to share with us. And it starts off in verse 1. Our first point is loss and life, if you take notes, loss and life. But verse 1, if you look at it, it starts off a little weird. Solomon says this. He says, a day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, some of you, you read that, and you should be a little confused, right? Uh, You're looking at that, and you're thinking, well, hey, Tim, you sure Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived? Like, how old was he? (laughs) It seems a little off his rocker here. Like, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Like, what's he talking about here? Well, if you look at it, he gives us a contrast that helps us. He says, hey, like like a good name is better than precious ointment, so is the day of death better than the day of birth. You see, in that day, uh, ointment was like perfume that we would have now, but, but it was a little bit more significant than we use it now. It was the way that you spruced yourself up a little bit. Like it was the way you, you made yourself look more attractive. Now, some of you may do that with, with ointment or cologne or perfume today, but, but a lot of us do it in other ways. Like we put makeup on, right? We go to the tanning bed. We, we do CrossFit. And we get yoked up, right? And for, for some of you, you do, yeah. You know who you are. You can't talk about it, or you can talk about it because you're in the cult of CrossFit. That's the way it works, right? I'll talk to you later about that. Get straightened up, I'm sure, on that. But we do all these things today, just like ointment in their day, to make ourselves look better. And what Solomon is saying is, hey, just like uh, a good name, that's your character, your reputation, your integrity, is better than ointment, the day of death is better than the day of birth. You see, what he's saying is, hey, What you look like externally, I mean, sure, like put on ointment, go do CrossFit, whatever it is you do. Make yourself look better externally, but that in the end doesn't really define you. What defines you? A good name, who you are internally, your character, your reputation, your integrity. And so just like your first day of life, like the day we all like to think about and we take pictures of and we get really excited about and we throw a baby shower in honor of, that first day of life doesn't really indicate who you really are, does it? It's the last day of life. How did you live? What did you do? Who did you put your trust in? Right? That indicates who you, who you really are. And so Solomon is making that point. He's giving us this, this long-term perspective. Hey, we need to start thinking about death, because that last day is is so much more important than the first day. And as I thought about that, that's just interesting to me, because I don't know about you, a lot of us, we don't think about death, right? We don't think about that last day. Now, I don't mean like putting together your will, like I know you got to do those things. Maybe some of you are later in in life, and, and you've reserved the plots in the graveyard, like you've thought about death. I don't mean just that. I mean, like when you're at dinner with people, what are you talking about? Today, this week, yesterday, 
Maybe like a few years in the future, like retirement, 401k, maybe a vacation you have planned in the future, maybe a baby that is coming, a marriage that's coming, whatever the case may be. We talk a lot about yesterday, today, a little bit in the future. We don't often talk about or consider the last day. And that's interesting because Solomon says we should. Look at verse 2. He says, for this, he's talking about death, is the end of all mankind. He's saying everybody's going to die, right? And he says, in light of that, the living will lay it to heart. They'll think about it. They'll ponder it. They'll consider it. Like at a meal with friends. Like at night with your spouse. Like with your roommate when you get home. Like, you'll pon- hey, what's that last day going to be like? How am I living today in light of the last day? Solomon says we should ponder it. Most of us Do not, and I think the reason many of us do not ponder the last day, we don't ponder death, is that reminds us, death, the last day, it reminds us we're not in control, Question, anybody struggle with control? Yeah, and the rest of you struggle with lying, right? (laughs) Because you didn't raise your hand, right? We all struggle with control. Like, we don't want to think about that there will be a last day because we don't know when that is. It could be on the way home today in a car crash. It could be tomorrow. We had a friend of ours who's, who's young who just got breast cancer. She's taking chemo. She just had her first day. She bought a wig. She did not know that was coming. And we don't like to talk about that. And we don't like to talk about the end. And we don't like to talk about the end for ourselves because we realize the reality that we are not in control. So we're not in control. And if you just look at the Bible, we realize that. Job, chapter 1, Job, again in your Old Testament, he said this, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's in control. You see, Here's what happens. We want to be in control, and we don't like talking about death because we realize we're not in control, and so we tune it out. And here's what you do when you do that. You tune out reality, right? You tune out the way life actually works. Life involves death. And so the more we're actually able to embrace that reality and recognize there is a day when I will die, the more we're actually being in tune with how God set up the earth and how it actually functions, And we're in tune with reality. That we would have times to realize, hey, the breath in my lungs is borrowed. I didn't start my life. I don't decide when it goes. And guess what happens? When we get in tune with reality, then we can operate wisely, as Solomon talks about, wisely how how life actually works. And we can surrender our control to God. We can surrender our fears to God. We can surrender that grind to God that we just think, well, I'm just going to keep working. I'll just ignore death. I'm just going to keep success, build my brand, build my platform. I'm just going to do that. When you get in tune with reality that death is coming, you can surrender that grind to God. You can surrender the pain of loss to God because you recognize it as a reality. And so Solomon is trying to bring wisdom, not folly, trying to bring wisdom in your life by pointing you to to the last day, not to be morbid, but to be biblical, to be in tune with reality and to respond accordingly and giving up control to God and just recognizing, hey, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. 
I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I'm going to trust him. It gets you in tune with reality. Our second point is loss and lamenting. How do we actually respond to loss as we surrender that to God? Verse 3 tells us, verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Again, Solomon seems a little confused here, right? Like you're picturing the old grandpa and you're like, grandpa, I don't know if you know how it works. Like, Sorrow is not better than laughter, right? Like Jim Gaffigan watching him is better than watching The Notebook, right? Like that's Solomon. Laughter's good. Like, hey, cheer up. Don't be so sad. That's what we tell people because we rank like laughter's up here, sorrow's down here. And Solomon, like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, flips everything on its head, right? And he says, no, actually, sorrow is better than laughter. So what is Solomon saying? He's saying if loss is a part of life, it actually helps your heart to express the pain that comes from that loss. If loss is just a reality of life, it actually helps your heart. It makes your heart glad to recognize it and express it. Biblically, we call that lament. Lament, it just means to express sorrow. The reality is all of us have sorrow because of loss. If you don't have it yet, it's coming. Right, if you think, oh, Tim, this is a heavy sermon, like I've never lost anybody, you will, it's a reality, and you will have some sorrow. And lamenting is just expressing that sorrow. It's just, hey, this is a reality of life. I'm not going to try to put it away and ignore it or numb it. I'm going to express it. And we see in the Bible, that's a healthy, godly thing to do. We see a whole book in the Bible, Lamentations in the Old Testament. That's what it is, expressing sorrow. We see 1 Thessalonians 4.13. A verse a lot of us will know, a verse a lot of us hear at funerals, it says we grieve but not without hope. Now, a lot of us, when we hear that verse, we focus on, well, like, hey, so remember we have hope in Jesus. Like at a funeral, maybe you've heard that verse, and like, hey, we, we, we grieve but we have hope, and then we start talking about the hope. But notice what the verse says. It says we grieve but we have hope as we grieve. It doesn't say because we have hope in Jesus, even as believers who think death is not the end, it doesn't say we have hope, so therefore grief is not necessary. No, it says we grieve, but we have hope while we grieve. We lament, we express godly grief, godly sorrow. We see Romans 12, 15, that we are to mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. Jesus, in John chapter 11, he weeps over the death of Lazarus. Now, what's always been interesting to me about that is, if you know the story, Lazarus dies, but he doesn't stay dead. Like, what happens? Jesus does what Jesus does. He raises him back to life. But in between there, he, he cries. He weeps. The perfect, sinless son of God, who knew he was going to bring Lazarus back to life, he wept, he grieved, he expressed sorrow, he lamented. And, and that's God's instruction for us as we experience loss, is to grieve. It's good, it's godly, it's right to grieve. And so listen, if you've ever been told by maybe another Christian, maybe you experienced loss, and maybe it was a long time ago, and maybe this, this holiday is stirring it up, and somebody just came along to you and said, hey, bud, just cheer up. Hey, hey just put on positive, encouraging K-love. Hey, just put a smile on it. Hey, hasn't, I mean, 
it's been a few years. Like, can't you let it go? If you've been told that, I'm sorry, right? The Bible doesn't talk about it. It talks about expressing the sorrow. It talks about doing it in a godly way, not numbing it, not ignoring it. But you rejoice with those who rejoice, and then you mourn with those who are mourning. You weep with those who weep. The Son of God wept. And so you have freedom. Even during the holidays, maybe you need to step out. Like while Thanksgiving dinner is going on, maybe you need to step out and talk with somebody. Don't push it down. Don't put a smile on it. The sorrow is there. It needs to be expressed. That's lament. That's what brings healing. And many of us, we just don't take time to lament, or maybe we feel like, well, that's not really the Christian thing to do, so I'm going to just put a smile on it and just turn on the radio and just... And many of us, we don't take time to lament, and I know that's been the case for me. I mentioned at the beginning, one of the reasons why we're doing this series is this is... uh, specific to our church. We lost a key leader a year ago, today. And I remember, and some of you guys were around for that time, it was Saturday night. Chris helps put together this service. And we were talking that day. He was 37 years old. Other people in our church who were going to be up on stage the next day were sending him their slides. I just got off the phone with them who said, like, hey, we just sent the slides to Chris. And then 30 minutes later, like 10.30 at night, my phone's blowing up, text messages are blowing up. Hey, we got to talk to you. Something crazy happened, and they share, hey, Chris passed away suddenly, completely unexpected. My wife and I, in that moment, we, we got our kids taken care of late at night on a Saturday night. We drove to, to East Mesa, which is where the family was, and we sat with them, and we talked with them, and we prayed with them. And we just tried to get over the shock of this moment and and start to lament the loss, even though we couldn't believe the loss. We got home at about 3.30 that morning, and it was Sunday morning. And so we had a service planned. I had a sermon planned. We had events planned that day. But I walked in after three hours of sleep and just had to share with people who I didn't want to hear from stage that Chris died I wanted them to hear in person, and so I just had to share with people in a circle in the lobby about what had just happened. I had to call people who I knew just hadn't gotten to church yet, and I didn't want them to hear it from stage for the first time. And he had to do all that, and then I had to lead a service and put together a service of lament and prayer. And hey, hey, explain this to our church. Like, if, if you're new, I know this is weird. You don't even know this guy, but this happened and this was a big deal. It happened just a few hours ago. And here's how we're going to respond. And God's good. And we don't understand, but he's faithful. And, and we led a service through that. And then a week later, I did the funeral. And we planned a funeral in this space. And it was our first one to do in this space. And there's a lot that goes into that. And I officiated the funeral and then met with their family and did all these things. And then, like, Being a pastor is just weird sometimes because the next Sunday I had to get up and preach again. And as I was hurting, I had to help other people who were hurting and and counsel with them in our church. And I just kept going. And I just kept, I was one of those people who just said, hey, let's get back to the grind. Let's just keep going. Like Sundays are coming. And I just did that. And listen, um, pastors kind of got problems. (laughs) Because of that, I'll just be honest with you. Like I just never took time to personally lament. I told you to lament. I told you how, but I hadn't done that. So just randomly in sermons, like three months later, I would just cry. And some of you remember that and you're like, 
we're talking about finances. And you're like, are his finances that bad? <laughs> I, just, I missed it. Am I supposed to be crying? <laughs> like, well, I missed the, the, the gut punch. Like, where did that? And because and, I never really dealt with it. And by God's grace, I have some good friends in my life uh, who are pastors and who aren't. But one of my pastor friends just said, hey, bro, have you like taken time with this? Have you taken time to lament, to express your sorrow? I know you're, you're helping everybody else, but have you taken time to do that? And I was like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, it's just been so busy. I don't even know. Uh, and he said, you need to do that. You need to take a day. And so I, I took a day. I just was like, all right, I'll, I'll try that. So I went to a mountain, and I didn't hike up the mountain because I didn't want more pain. Um, <laughs> I was trying to release the pain, so I hiked around the base of the mountain, right? Pro tip. Um, and I just, I got by myself where nobody could hear or see, and I yelled at God. And I cried to God. And I prayed to God, and I asked him, like, hey, why did this happen? And um, what are you doing in the midst of this? And what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? I hadn't asked that question. What are you trying to teach our church in the midst of this? And, and how do we take next steps forward? And, and how do we honor Chris but not cry in every sermon? Um, and and I, just, I just walked around that mountain for a long time, and I just began to lament. And listen, as hard as that was, that's when God started to bring healing. Because I had some sorrow, but I'd never expressed it, right? And some of you know what that's like. And some of you need to take some time, and you need to take a day, and maybe you don't need to go hike a mountain. Uh, Don't do that. If you've never done that, don't do that. You could hurt yourself. Um, but you need to go for a drive or you need to get with some friends and a healthy, with God, you need to think about the loss and you need to address it. And what's going on in my heart and, and how can I learn from this? And God, I know you're writing a bigger story. What is that? And he may not share all of that with you and he didn't share it all with me, but he shared some things. And some of those things allowed me to start healing and to start moving forward and, and to do that with God. Listen, I thought about Chris before that day. I thought about him every time I come in here and put my mic on, I thought about him because he used to do that. I thought about him all the time because we had a weekly call before the service. I thought about him when the Seahawks would win a football game because he was a big Seahawks fan and it was super annoying <laughs> because I'm a Cowboys fan, right? God's team. And so he was clearly on the other side of that. And, and every time the Seahawks would win, i think about Chris because he would always send me a text, just rubbing it in, right? It wasn't that I, I didn't think about Chris. I thought about him. Here's the difference. I didn't think about him with God and with the Bible and with truth, right? That's lamenting, right? I know you think about the people you lost, but sometimes you think about them with a bottle, not a Bible. Like sometimes you think about them, uh, think about this person you lost, like just overeating and indulging. But you don't think about that loss with God. 
That's biblical lament. That's a godly grief that leads to healing. And so I would just say, have you done that? If you've lost somebody, have you lamented that loss with God, with godly people around you? Here's what will happen if you do that. You will start to heal because you'll experience the comfort of God. 2 Corinthians 1.3, we get the supernatural comfort of God in the midst of our affliction. As you lament the supernatural comfort of God, and that day when I was walking around the mountain, I did yell and I did cry, but eventually I started to remember Chris's life and God's timing, and I don't understand it, but God, you gave Chris a life, and you gave Chris breath in his lungs that was borrowed, and you are doing something bigger, and you did use him to shape lives, and and even this building that we call a kingdom outpost, you used him to develop, and I started to remember God's comfort, like, God, you used Chris in amazing ways, and I got to be a part of his life, and so many other people are still impacted by his life. And I got 2 Corinthians 1.3, the supernatural comfort of God. I got to experience the encouragement of others. So many people came alongside me and said, hey, yeah, you need to take a day. They they came alongside me and said, hey, we're praying for you. They came alongside me like months later and said, how are you doing? They came alongside me and said, hey, can I preach for you when I was having a rough time? And I got to sit where you sit and get fed by somebody else. And, And I got the encouragement of people, but it started with a process of lament. That's what happens. That's the healing that God brings, but he does it through expressing the sorrow, not ignoring it. Not numbing it. So I would encourage you, if you're experiencing loss as we approach the holidays, experience the, the, the healing, the comfort, the encouragement of lament. Last point. Loss and learning. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, that word mirth literally means amusement, which isn't inherently bad off by itself, but if you know the context of this, Solomon is talking about wisdom and folly. He says it right here. He says, hey, the heart of the wise in the house of mourning, the heart of fools in the house of mirth, amusement. So he's contrasting, hey, this is wisdom, this is folly. The heart of the wise takes time to mourn, to learn. There's wisdom in that. But the heart of a fool, the foolish person, person just says, hey, let's just have fun. Let's just laugh. Like whatever we can do to get away from the, the mourning and the pain of loss. I don't want to go to the funeral. I don't want to talk about it. Hey, let's just go do this. And sometimes that amusement is sinful. And some of you have done this and you know other people who've done this. Like experiencing the pain of loss instead of getting wisdom. Hey, let's learn from it. Let's be refined from it as we mourn. What's God teaching us? Instead, no, we escape an amusement and we go to the strip club. right? Or we go to pornography. Or we go to that addiction. Or we go to alcohol. Or we go to food to numb the pain. And Solomon's saying, hey, that is, is going to be foolish to do. Instead, you need to go to the house of mourning because God wants to teach you. He wants to make you wise through the loss. So how do you deal with loss? Do you, do you learn or do you numb? There's lots of things we can learn, lots of things that I've learned. We learn the bigger story God is writing in the midst of loss. And we lean into it. We pursue, we lock arms with other people. We grab a Bible. We grab the truth of God, the comfort of God. We begin to learn, hey, God's writing a bigger story. 
that in Scripture specifically, we have the meta-narrative, the story, the overarching story of Scripture. It's creation, it's fall, it's redemption, it's restoration. That fall brings death because of sin. And so even though Chris is in heaven, he's with God, even though that person you lost is in heaven, if they believed in God, they're with God, it's an amazing thing, that death is still part of the fall, it's a part of sin. And we see, okay, that's the bigger story. Like sin distorts and and devastates and brings destruction. And part of that's death. But it doesn't stop with creation and fall. It goes to redemption. And Jesus brings life. And he brings life in in you. And he brings life for eternity. And that ends up in restoration. And God restores all things and makes all things new. And there is no more death. And there is no more pain. And there is no more tears. And that's the bigger story God is writing. And so we're living in the midst of the fall and kind of redemption because we know there's life coming. And sometimes we need to see the bigger story like God is going to restore that's coming. And we need to learn that. We need to learn verses like John 14, 6. We need to memorize verses like John 14, 6. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. We need to hold on to the life Jesus offers. We need to memorize John eleven twenty five. 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's bringing restoration. He's bringing life even in the midst of loss. John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. Help me out with this one. John 10, 10, I came that you might have life. Thank you. And the kind of life Jesus offers is not a life that ends with death, if you know him. Right? That's what the restoration and the meta-narrative is all about. It's an eternal life. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5, that when we're away from the body, we're at home with the Lord. Romans 14, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Romans 8, neither death nor life can separate us from the love of Christ. Listen, loss is devastating, but it doesn't have to destroy us. Because for the Christian, it's not the end. Jesus brings life. There's a bigger story. We learn that when we lean into it with the truth of God. We learn that. We learn what Dwight Moody said. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. But don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher that is all out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. So we learn. When we lean into loss, we learn from God. Hey, it doesn't have to be the end. We learn for Chris and for other believers that you know that you've lost. Hey, we can grieve, but we can grieve with hope. And God is writing a bigger story. The last thing we learn is that God is with us even in loss. One reason why we want to numb, I believe, and as I talk to many people who are dealing with loss that way, is we see God as a distant producer of a show who's pulling strings. And as you lost that sibling, as you lost that friend, as you lost that parent, as you lost that spouse, when you see God and I'm supposed to learn about God, that's what you see. And you need to know, you need to learn that that couldn't be further from the truth about the character of God. We see in Scripture that God, Hebrews 4, Jesus empathizes with our weaknesses. Isaiah 53, Jesus bore our grief. 
he carried our sorrow upon himself. God is in the midst of your loss. That's why he wept with Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise him back to life. Why did he weep? To show you he feels your pain. To show you he's not a distant God far off. He's in the midst of your loss with you. And when you lean into that, the truth of God in the midst of loss, you learn God isn't distant pulling puppet strings. God is with me even in the midst of loss. See, we're going to end today responding with communion. It's the perfect way to end because here's the beauty of the cross. Here's the beauty of the gospel. You ready? It's that God is with you not just on your best day, but what? Your worst day. Every day, God is with you in triumph and in loss. That's what the cross is all about. He bore your griefs. He carried your sorrows. He took upon your sin, the sin that caused the death of anybody you know. Christ took that sin completely upon himself at the cross. See, when we take the bread and we dip it in the juice or the wine, we're remembering God is with me on my best day and my worst day. God is with me if I'm a believer in Jesus when I'm right and when I'm wrong. God is with me when everybody around me is flourishing and I am, but God is also with me when my friend just passed away and I hear somebody else pass, a friend of a friend and, and all these things and what do I do? God is with you in the midst of all of that and the way he showed that to you and didn't just say it to you was through the cross. He gave his life. To prove to you on your first day, on your worst day, but also on your last day, God is with you. So we're going to respond in taking communion. I would encourage you to take this time. Maybe you need to kneel where you are. Maybe you need to grab somebody else who brought you and pray. Maybe you need to start that process of lament. Maybe you need to say, hey, what do I need to learn from this loss? And you've just never asked that question before. I would encourage you, if you're a believer in Jesus, as you come and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice or the wine, that you would start that process of lamenting, of learning in the midst of loss. Why? Because God's with you. God's going to bring comfort. God's going to bring healing. God's going to bring encouragement. He's so good that he's even good to you. He's even with you in the midst of loss. Let's pray together, then we'll partake in communion. Father in heaven, God, I pray for these men and women. I pray that um, if they haven't experienced loss, that they would realize there's some other men and women in this room who have, and they would use today as an opportunity to comfort those people, as an opportunity to speak a word of truth to those people. God, I, I pray that as we enter into the holidays, that as some are, are tempted to ignore loss or numb it, that God, instead, we would, we would learn. We would lean into it. And God, I pray that that would start today. God, I pray that we would know this is true for, for every man and woman in here who, who knows you, that your steadfast love never ceases, even in the midst of loss, that your mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning, that great is your faithfulness, God, we declare 
God, that you are our portion and therefore our hope is in you, even amidst grief. God, we declare, even in the midst of grief and sorrow and loss, that you are good to those who wait for you, to the soul who seeks you. You are good today. You were good last Sunday. You were good last year. God, we declare that we are waiting. We are looking for the salvation, not of ourselves, but that comes from the Lord. We are not running from the yoke of this dark providence or throwing off the burden of your good sovereignty. We embrace your sovereignty. But we are waiting and we are looking for the yoke to be made easy and the burden light. And God, I thank, thank you that you're faithful to do that even for us today. God, I thank you that you do not hide yourself forever. Though you cause grief, you will have compassion according to the abundance of your steadfast love, for you do not afflict from your heart or grieve the children of men. We know your heart, O God, for there is nothing in the world more bright, more blazing, more terrible, more beautiful, more bloody, more hopeful than the revelation of your heart that we get in the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father in heaven, I pray as we as we take communion, we would remember these truths. And I thank you that we can just declare these truths over all of us today, even in the midst of loss or remembering a loss. And God, that there's no better picture that you're with us on the first day, the, the, the worst day or the, the last day than taking communion and remembering you showed us your faithfulness, your presence is with us by, by sending your son, Jesus to take on the sin of the world and not just take it on, but to beat it in the resurrection so you could be with us forever, so we could be fully known and fully loved for all of eternity, so sin could be forgiven. And so even loss, we could still have hope in the restoration of all things. So God, I thank you for the cross, for the beauty of it, and I pray that we would celebrate it we would remember it, we would declare its truth over our lives and over our loss this morning. We pray that in the name of Jesus.